Morning, guys. How we doing? You know, it's always, I'm glad to see you guys here. I'm so glad you're here. Whenever we have a good snow, I'm always wondering if I'm just going to get to do this to myself or, you know, who's... Who owns dog sleds? They're going to strap them up and kind of press out this morning. Uh, was your drive-in okay? If you're watching online, we're glad you're watching online. I get it. I hear you. You're in your pajamas. I'm a little jealous, but super glad that you're here this morning. Let me just uh, start by saying <clears throat> I got this little uh, sinus thing happening, so you're going to hear a little throat clearing. I apologize for that. Um, this, this finely tuned instrument right here. Why are you laughing? Anyways, uh, uh, whenever the barometric pressure changes, it does this weird thing to my head. I don't know if anybody else has that, but if you do, you know in the last week and a half, it's changed 471 times uh, from uh, up and down and up and down and all over the map. So anyhow, I get a little bit, my head gets a little congested, just again, because we live in the world we live in, it's not COVID, I've been tested. I just want to say that uh, because I know sometimes when people get sniffly and folks get a little nervous and that's cool, but you probably see me in a mask. Okay, enough of that. Enough of that. Good, good. Hey, um, if you are a North Point regular, you've been here regularly, you hear us each week talk about a phone number that you can text. That's that yeah, 833-CHAT-NCC, and you can text some keywords to that number. You can text GIVE to that number. That will help you figure out how to give if you'd like to do that electronically, unless you'd like to do it at the doors. On your way out, you could also text APP. APP to that same exact number, and, uh, and that'll give you an opportunity to download the app, which will give you some stuff to follow along during the talk, as well as announcements, a bunch of other stuff. And if you're new with us, like this is not a normal uh, place for you, like double points, triple points for you for getting the dog sled out this morning and being here, or if you're watching online, you're at home, and this is uh, new, if you would text the keyword guest, G-U-E-S-T, to that same phone number. 833-CHAT-NCC, then that'll just give you a little ping back, give you an opportunity to let us know that you are here with us this morning. I uh, won't do anything weird with that. It's just kind of an opportunity for us to get to know you a little bit more. So that's kind of how we start this morning. It is January. I was just curious if anybody knew. It's kind of fun when there's a little bit less people. I just feel like I, it's like youth ministry all over again. You know, I just want to talk with you and not preach so much. It is January 2nd. If you weren't sure of that, that means you had a week off between Christmas and uh, New Year's. Good for you. January 2nd, this is New Year, right? And we're all very excited. New Year's resolutions are coming out. I don't know if you do that or not. I don't know if you've given up on that or not, but you got to at least make them so you can break them because you can't break them unless you make them. New Year's resolutions are happening and we're all very excited, right? This, this whole concept of a new calendar and like we get it down in our soul. We know nothing really like is, is different, it's just another day, but, but we have this sense, this, this feeling like it's a new opportunity, just ripe with hope, 2022, you know, ripe with hope, and, and we, who knows what's going to happen this next year, and then you realize 2022 is pronounced 2022, <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding, and you like 2020 also, again, never mind, doesn't matter. New year, new stuff, and uh, I, don't, I don't know, this is kind of exciting actually for me is to not know what's going to come this year in terms of what we're going to learn, who we're going to meet, what we're going to experience, what kind of new stuff we'll figure out about ourselves. That's kind of exciting stuff. Um, I'm actually learning new things. Uh, maybe that's a surprise. I don't know. I'm learning new stuff. This last year in particular, it's been a while that I've been thinking about this, but this last year in particular, it's really embedded deeper into me this concept of, and, and maybe you don't care, but I'm going to share it with you anyways, processors versus verbalizers. 
processors versus verbalizers. There are like two ways that people like to think and talk. One is processor and one is verbalizer. I don't know if you've ever thought of this before. Processors are folks who need time to think about something before they respond. They actually need to think before they talk. All right, uh, processors are often seen as quiet or maybe pensive. Sometimes they're seen as disengaged, but that's not necessarily true. They really just like to roll something around in their head before they speak. And when they do speak, people often take notice because they're not always the first ones talking. My, my wife, Emily, is a processor. This is probably why this has become important to me over the last couple of years. Anybody else in this room feel like you're a processor? You like to... Th- Four of you, five of you, cool, right? You like to think before you talk. Um, processors typically hate like small group questions or questions that they're gonna go into an environment and get asked questions if they haven't had a chance to think about them yet. Um, and uh, sharing anything verbal after you do that, often you'll come back to, oh, I wish I would have said this instead. Like that classic overthinking kind of thing, not always, but usually, um, uh, you, you are those folks who like to think first. The opposite side of that spectrum is the verbalizer. The verbalizer is this person that likes to speak first and then think. Does it make sense? Like words just flaw. Now, it's not that, it's not necessarily a negative thing. They really just like to get the words out on the table and then we'll move them around to make sense. Right, so verbalizers tend to speak first and then think a little bit, um, and they typically uh, think it through as they're talking about it, whatever the thing might be. These folks tend to use lots of words. These folks will never read the questions ahead of time, even if you send them out. So whenever I do small group stuff and lead small groups, I'll often send those questions out ahead of time because I'm realizing some people like to think about them first. But our, our verbalizers, they won't even read those questions. They're just going to hit it on the spur of the moment, right? They like to wing it. These folks tend to be very talkative. Um, often, they're seen as smart, and that may or may not be true. Um, but in reality, they just keep using words until it makes sense. We'll just keep adding words into the scenario. I know this is a huge surprise that I'm a verbalizer. So it kind of cracks me up, and I have no problem picking on verbalizers. Any other verbalizers here? Oh, this is interesting in this non-scientific study that there's more verbalizers than processors. And some of you either don't know what you are or don't want to admit it, or you're somewhere on that spectrum. You're the folks who fight, you know, any kind of categorization. You're like, don't identify me. I will be what I'm going to. That's fine. You can do that. My guess is that you lean one way or another. You like to think first, then talk. Words just kind of come out of your mouth, and then you start thinking about it. We use that phrase, verbal processor, right, that kind of thing. When you pair a processor and a verbalizer in a marriage, that's when it gets spicy, right? That's when it gets fun, right? For us, for Emily and I, it works really well. I do all the talking, she does all the thinking, and it's a beautiful thing. So somehow, we're figuring that out. Uh, I am trying to learn. I'm trying to beef up the weak processor in me. I want to be a little more reticent with the words that come out of me, so I'm learning to love the phrase. And for you processors, you'll be like, wait, this is a thing? I thought this was just what normal people did. I'm learning to love the phrase, hey, let me think about that for a minute. (laughs) Processors are chuckling. You're like, well, isn't that how normal people? No, it's not. Normal people just throw words out. Wait a minute, that's the verbal. I'm learning to love that phrase. Let me think about that for a minute and actually try to put a little bit of thought into it. Thinking about things seems to be a lost art. We just live in a culture. We don't see that a lot. Our culture is very much about immediate reactions. 
right? Social media is this concept. It's filled with immediate reactions without lots of thinking. And we could all cite examples of scenarios or situations where, where everybody piled in on top of whatever the thing was, only to find out within a few days that that thing wasn't even true, right? This idea that we just jump on stuff so quickly without even thinking about it. We tend to think less and react more. We used to pass on wisdom from one generation to the next. We would listen to the older folk, they would teach some things, we would listen, we would internalize that, make that part of our world. That seems to be a dying art as well. I think some of that could be just simply the, the way we move away from family. Some of, I, I don't know, there's probably a billion reasons why, but that just seems to be something that doesn't happen as much as it used to. Matter of fact, uh, when we need to learn something, what do we do? We just YouTube it, right? I'll, need to, I'll learn that when I need to know it. I'll figure it out then. We'll just go to YouTube you and figure it out. That's not necessarily a terrible thing, but it's just interesting in comparison to this concept of learning from an older generation and then processing that into us. So while I like to tease my processor friends about the fact that they need to think first and then speak later, I really do respect it. Um, it's a discipline I'd like to push into my life a little bit more, maybe something I'm working on for 2022 and get a little more wisdom in that area. Well, this whole concept of let me think. And, and I just share all that little bit of me with you to talk about where we're headed over the next couple of months. This whole concept of let me think. Passing on embedded wisdom is not new. Matter of fact, there's an entire book of the Bible that is dedicated to this very concept. It's really a collection of different types of literature, but it's dedicated to this concept of passing on wisdom from one generation to the next. And we know it as the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is all about this sense of wisdom and passing it on from one generation to the next, which brings us to the start of a new series this morning. So I'm super glad you're here or you're watching with us online as we start a new series that we're going to tackle for the next two months as we enter 2022, this whole idea of looking at the book of Proverbs and figuring out how to pour some wisdom into us as we keep learning and growing and developing, starting right now, working on living a smarter, better, healthier, happier lives in 2022. So if you have the North Point app, this is a great time to pull it out. Just want to remind you, there's sermon notes in there, but there's also the opportunity in that app, if you have questions that pop up over the next few minutes that we're together this morning, that you would feel free just to uh, click those. That'll go uh, into our magical question hopper, and then we'll, uh, we'll tackle those in North Point Plus tomorrow during the podcast, so we'd love for that to happen. So if you have a Bible or if you have the app, open it up to the book of Proverbs, give you a second to find that, and we want to jump into chapter one. Proverbs chapter one, it starts obviously in verse one, and it says this. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. We're gonna pause there because I just don't want us to miss how it starts. Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, opens right up to who wrote or collected at least the majority of the Proverbs, and it's this guy named Solomon. Right? There's other authors that we'll notice as we go through the book of Proverbs that some of their stuff is collected as well. There's a group of people just called the wise. We don't know much about them, but like chapters 22 is some of the verses in there. There's a group of Proverbs, one chapter in particular are the sayings of Agur. We don't know much about him. We just know chapter 30 is something that was compiled by him. We have some in chapter 31. It's the sayings of Lemuel. We don't know much about him other than Solomon saw this wisdom from these other individuals and said, I want this in the collection. I want this in the book that I'm gonna, we'll talk more in a second about, leave to my son 
<clears throat> in terms of how to live wise. We don't know much about those other guys, but we know a ton about Solomon. And Solomon's story is told in the book of 1 Kings. So if you're, if you're in the scriptures, flip over there. I just want to show you a couple of pieces. Solomon was the second son of King David and Bathsheba. If you remember that episode at all, the first son that David and Bathsheba had died, uh, uh, Solomon is the second son. If you remember, Bathsheba was this married chick who David one day when he was on his roof saw her bathing on her roof, which sounds really abnormal in our culture, but it was very normal in their culture that that's where baths would happen. So David is not normal that dudes would be checking that out. That's not cool. But where that happened, and so David saw her and said, she must be mine. So he killed her husband so that he could bring her into his uh, relationship family and he had kids with her. So that's that story. Not really a great start for a kid. If you just think about that, Solomon, as he was going to school every day, and they're like, oh, who's your mom and dad? And maybe he would say, I'd rather not say. <laughs> I don't know, right? Just kind of an odd start, right? So it's not David's oldest son either. David had other uh, wives, other ladies that he had sons with, but for some reason, David had this soft spot for Bathsheba, so he chose Solomon to be king. This, as you would imagine, caused some churn in the Davidic family. So Solomon becomes king when David dies, but um, he inherits a little bit of a dumpster fire of a political situation. There's infighting amongst the siblings about who really should be it. They're trying to figure out how to posture for that. There's some outfighting from folks who are waiting for David to sort of weaken so they can come in and conquer because David was a pretty strong king. So there's just kind of this whole thing happening. And, and interestingly enough, Solomon is the right guy for the job. And so in 1 Kings chapter 3, it just gives us this little uh, picture about Solomon, starting in verse 5. It says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now that's crazy right there. Like imagine if God showed up to you and said, Hey, uh, what, ask, ask for whatever you want, and I'm going to give it to you. What, what would you ask for? Not probably the time to respond out loud, although that would be fun. But just stick it in your head. What would that, what would you ask for? What would be the one thing if God said, I'm gonna give you anything you want? What would you ask for? Ask for anything you want me to give you. And in verse eight, Solomon, uh, verse six, sorry, Solomon answers, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kingdom to him and have given him a son to sit on the throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Solomon is a grown man. He's not a little kid, but he feels like he has no clue what he's doing. Anybody relate? A little bit? Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I'll give you a wise and discerning heart, so there will be never have it been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. So you get the picture, right? God says, ask for anything you want. Solomon says, hey, give me some discernment because I don't know what I'm doing. God is so happy about that. God says, not only am I gonna give you that, but I'm gonna give you the things you didn't ask for either. I'll give you wealth and I'll give you power and I'm gonna make your enemies, you know, run away from you and all this kind of great stuff. God is so pleased. If Solomon obeys, then God will give him this long life. We jump over to chapter four. Starting at verse 29. And it says, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon 
was super smart. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than that of all the wisdom of Egypt. And he was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan or Ezrai, wiser than Haman, Calco, Darda, the sons of Mahal. We don't know any of those folks, but, but they're named and somebody would have known them. And at that moment, they'd have been like, wow, Solomon, he's real, he's smaller than those guys, right? And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. And he spoke 3,000 proverbs, that's where we're going to go in a few minutes, right? And his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life from cedars of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard about his wisdom. I just, again, want to set up who Solomon is. Before we jump into Proverbs, who is this guy that collected these things? Well, he is the smartest dude who ever lived. Tons of wisdom because he asked God for it. So wise that they name other people. And they see Solomon is even wiser than those guys. So wise that other nations would come to visit him just to figure out some things. And not just in like spiritual life stuff, but all kinds of areas of life. It's talking about like plants and walls and stuff. And so Solomon's got this incredible, incredible wisdom. And his reputation spreads. If we check out chapter 10 in 1 Kings. Just as one example, it says this starting in verse one. It says, when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom that Solomon had and the palace that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attendant servants in the robes, his cupbearer and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. So just one picture of this idea of, of Solomon's wisdom was so uh, uh, massive and so well known that his reputation spread out all over the known world that this queen comes to visit him, not because of uh, just his wisdom, but because of his relationship with the Lord. Those two things were what marked Solomon's character. She comes to test him with these hard questions, nothing's too difficult for him, and so at the end, she is overwhelmed. That word overwhelmed, it, it, it literally would be translated, her breath was taken away because Solomon was just a guy who got it. Again, why? because he had multiple PhDs, because he had read a bunch of books, because he was just really smart, because he had good DNA. No, because he asked God for wisdom. In this, in this moment that, that hasn't happened since, where God came to someone and said, hey, ask me anything you want. Solomon said, help me figure out how to rule because I just don't know what I'm doing. So you're thinking, Chris, stop with the history. That's great, fine, we get it, move on. You can't jump into Proverbs unless we just have a basic understanding of who Solomon is, who laid them out. He wrote most of these, he collected some of these, but we've gotta understand who this guy is, the wisest man who ever lived, and he decides to pass on some of that wisdom to his son. Back to Proverbs chapter one, if we jump down to verse eight, it says this, he says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. There are garland uh, to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Dads, we get this, don't we? Moms, moms, I, I gotta imagine you get this too. I'm not a mom, I can't speak to that. But dads, we get this, especially if we have sons, but even if we have daughters, there comes this moment 
where like the light turns on for us and we're like, oh my gosh, they're becoming these little mini adults. <laughs> we, prob we probably should make sure they got some things figured out. And all of a sudden we wanna make sure they understand how to cross the street, right? Who, who to date, who not to date. Uh, how to act when they're at somebody else's house, amen? Right? How, how to treat a parent right. If it's a son, how to treat a girl right. If it's a girl, how to be treated right by a boy and how to treat a boy right. Like all these life things, we want to pass that on and Solomon is no different. He says, my son, I want to pass these things on to you. So in essence, Proverbs is this collection of wisdom that a father is passing on to his son that has tons of application for us. That word proverb, I mean, we've, we've used it a bunch this morning. We've probably heard this before. We're familiar with the book. The word proverb is something actually fairly difficult to define. Sometimes when we think about proverbs, maybe we think about, not the book, but the proverb. We think about Aesop's fables. Do you ever remember? You're old enough to remember those. <clears throat> we still use those. I don't know. Anybody with young kids still using those? I don't know. Aesop's fables, or sometimes we think of fortune cookies, Right, those, those uh, amazing bits of advice that are on the back of the lotto numbers in the fortune cookie, right? Sometimes we think of that like Proverbs. We think of these little short, but it's, it's actually a little more difficult to define. Um, this, uh, this book that I use called NIV Application Commentary, it says this, it says, a proverb is one of those things you know when you hear it, but hard to put into words. Um, maybe a good attempt at defining it is a short sentence of wisdom drawn from long experience. It's more than just a pithy saying. It's more than just a, a, a smart little tidbit. There's, there's more packaged into that. It goes on to say, Proverbs name and size up situations, giving those who use and hear them guidance on how to respond. Proverbs then are speech acts that teach, cajole, taunt, and reprove depending on how they're used. So it's more than just a pithy saying it really is trying to dig into you somehow. The, the Hebrew word for proverb is, is literally this word masal, and it means a saying, a saying that stimulates thought and provides insight. The, we, we get the title of this book from the very first word of the book where it says the Proverbs of Solomon, masals of Solomon, the sayings of Solomon. They're designed to make you stop and say, huh, I gotta think about that. <laughs> See where we're going? That's the whole point of them. So just to, to read them like we do a fortune cookie <clears throat> is missing the point. A proverb is really causing you to stop and say, what do I want to do about that? That's, that's interesting. I got to spend some more time mulling that around. There's two, two things that we want to avoid with the book of Proverbs, and this is really important. So if you've tuned out for the last few minutes, I apologize. Uh, come back to me for a second and then do what you got to do. But two things we want to avoid with the book of Proverbs. One, we would call it absolutizing the Proverbs. I don't know if that's a word or not, but it is now. Absolutizing the Proverbs. And what I mean is that Proverbs are not promises to claim as guarantees, if you've read the book of Proverbs or, or even individual Proverbs, you've come up against the reality that, well, it doesn't always go that way because they're not promises designed to be guarantees. If we, if we read a proverb and we think, hey, if I just do that, then I'm guaranteed that result, like some kind of a magical formula, uh, that's not it. That's, that's not the literature style. That's not what Proverbs are about. It's not what Solomon was trying to do or communicate. It's not what he wanted for David, his son. Or for, it's not what David wanted for uh, Solomon. It's not what Solomon wanted for his son. It's not this idea that these are the magical formulas, right? Rather, they are general observations of what life is typically like. So if you do these things, typically it works out like this. 
And the challenge is that whenever we say that, there's always an outlier. Well, but wait, wait, wait. My aunt did that, and then it didn't work out. Like, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. But there's 72,000 other people that did do this, and it, and it worked out like that. It's, it's general observations of things in life that are generally true. This is normally what happens if I live like this. Proverbs is not a collection of promises to cash in like coupons. It's not how it works. It's not a set of principles that allow us to predict life or control life. It is really more observations of what typically happens between cause and effect. Here's the second thing, that, uh, a warning that we want to avoid when we look at Proverbs. This idea of isolating the Proverbs. If we just look at an individual proverb outside of any kind of context, um, that can become problematic. Now, here's the challenge. If we understand the concept of context, normally when we're reading a, a portion of the Bible, we want to read before it and after it, figure out what context it's set in, figure out what's going on, who's speaking to who, all this kind of stuff. The challenge with uh, Proverbs is that there, it's not sequential like that. You really can pick Proverbs 15, verse 15, and read that because the Proverbs before it and the Proverbs after it probably don't have much to do with it. But nevertheless, there is a context to the entire book, and we have to remember that. We can't read that outside of the context. And really, the context is chapters 1 through 9. The first nine chapters are what they call the preamble. It's Solomon setting up why it's so important to have wisdom. And then the rest of Proverbs are those individual specific pieces of wisdom. And so when we pick Proverbs 27, 6, I have no idea what that says, and we read that, we have to remember that it's not a standalone fortune cookie, but it's contained in this idea that Solomon wants to communicate to his kid and to us about what wise living typically looks like. Not a promise to be cashed in and somehow God has to do it because you said the right words, but general observations about how life typically works. Does that make sense, kind of, sort of? Here's an example, one of my favorite examples. Proverbs 22.6, you've, if, you, if you've been part of church for a while, you've probably heard this. If you ever had kids, you probably got quoted this when you had kids. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, don't depart from it. So we read that, and if we absolutize that proverb, we say, oh, great, if I just train up my kid right, then he'll always live right. And then your neighbor's like, yeah, I did that, and my kid's way messed up. And you're like, uh, don't talk to me anymore. We don't know what to do with that. But the, the reality is that, that the proverb is not making some kind of a magical promise about training up your kid in the right way, and there's lots of good ways to interpret this, and we'll leave it for another uh, folk who's gonna come up in a few weeks and probably talk about this, but there's lots of ways to understand what it's meaning, but, but if nothing else, the general observation is if we raise kids right, they typically live right. Now, I don't even know how to define right. I just wanna be honest with you, because what does that mean right there? <laughs> I raised them right. What does that mean? Gave them everything they wanted? Or didn't give them anything that they wanted. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But the idea is that it's not this magical promise, but there is this general sense that if kids are raised in good ways, then they typically live good ways. Matter of, Jesus tells this story, matter of fact, in the, in, in the Gospels of um, two sons raised by the same dad. Do you know the story? We call it the prodigal son, but uh, it's two sons raised by the same dad, same exact home, same exact scenario, who decide to live very different lives. And there's multiple ways to get into the story, but suffice it to say one of those kids stays home and, and does everything dad asks him to do with a really wicked, rotten heart. But, but the other kid says, I wish you were dead. Give me all my stuff. I'm out of here. And he leaves, right? So you got these two kids raised by the same dad who, who went different directions. And my only point in bringing that up 
is for this idea that we, we wanna be cautious about making these Proverbs into some kind of a magical promise, right? So if we don't treat Proverbs like a fortune cookie or a magical promise, we're probably gonna be just fine. I know, we're doing a lot of intro stuff today, but you're gonna hang with me. Proverbs chapter one, let's dive in for a second and ask the question, so what specifically is the purpose of the book? And this is where it's cool because it tells us exactly what the purpose is, starting in verse one. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, <clears throat> king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and the discerning get guidance for understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. And I'd suggest that captured in there are four purposes for the book of Proverbs. The first one in verse two is this idea of gaining wisdom, gaining wisdom and instruction. This is what we might call book smarts. This is what we think of when we think of the word wisdom. We think of the concept of, of intellect, like learning something new up in our brains. It's the idea of knowing about something uh, knowing uh, something, gaining knowledge about a thing. It is this concept of head knowledge. There's a second purpose in verse three, and it says, for receiving instruction in prudent or wise behavior. So getting instruction in wise behavior. Maybe we'd call this street smarts. This is kind of the other end of the spectrum from book smarts or head knowledge into street smarts or like, I don't know what you call it, hand knowledge. It's not merely intellect pursuit, but how it plays out in life. This is the concept of the living it out level. It's not enough to just have something up here. Oh, cool, I understand that. But it's also what do you do with that? And I'm now living that out as well. That is the concept of wisdom that biblical concept of wisdom. It's concerned with what someone understands, but also what they do with that understanding. In fact, if we were to jump over to the book of James, there's this really interesting verse where James talks about, oh, good, well, you believe that there's a God, but you don't live in any such way to prove that. That's fine. Demons believe that too. So this idea of head knowledge versus maybe heart knowledge or hand knowledge, like what you do with the thing that you believe. This might be what we call skill. Right? Not just having a knowledge of something, but actually having a, a, a literal working knowledge of something. My, my dad called me uh, last week. <coughs> he said, <coughs> excuse me, he said um, that the struts on his trunk were broken. Uh, he's got a, I don't know, a 1941 Impala. I have no idea what you're, 86, 72, uh, 2007 Impala. And he's all, uh, so I'm gonna go to the parts store and buy these new struts and you and I can put them on. It's super simple. Now, I say that and you're not reacting, which means you don't know that I know nothing about cars. Nothing. I know how to turn it on. I know what D and R mean. I have an M gear. I don't know what that's for. Right? I know nothing about cars. My dad says, super simple. He says, I Googled it. My dad, who's probably watching at home right now, is 88, and I love him dearly. He Googled it. <laughs> sure, bring it over. I then Googled it too, and I watched the little YouTube video, and I was like, oh, that looks really simple. You just pop it off and pop it on. Anybody ever done car stuff where you just pop it off and pop it on? But I had this intellectual knowledge on how simple it was. You tracking with me? Like, I'm like, it looks simple. The guy in the auto mechanic shop who's got Bud written on his shirt, he just did it in like two minutes, <laughs> right? 
But it wasn't until my dad backed it into our garage and we started uh, applying our hand knowledge to that that we learned real quick on how much head knowledge and hand knowledge is important to be together. If you care, we got it off. It's all better. Yay. But it was fun. Okay. So those are two, yeah, two purposes for Proverbs. Here's a third one. And it says right here in verse four, it says, for giving prudence or wisdom to the simple, right? The simple is this word that could be, um, it, it could mean youth. Um, it, it can mean ignorance. It can mean um, not knowledgeable. And it could be based on age, right? Younger folks only know what they can know. Like you can only know what you can know. And so uh, it could be youth. It could be ignorance based on youth. It could be ignorance based on just having, not having a knowledge of the topic. Whatever it is, Proverbs is designed to shore that up. It really wants to connect with the simple. The, the word simple has lots of connotations. It can mean gullible. It can mean easily swayed, uh, potentially without moral direction because they don't know and therefore potentially susceptible to evil. So again, more than just a head knowledge, but also a working knowledge for the simple. And then the last purpose of Proverbs in verse 5, it says it's for the wise. It's not just for people who don't know yet, but it's for the wise as well to add to their learning. Proverbs aren't just for the ignorant or for the young. It's also for uh, an add-on for those who are wise. So you are never too old to learn more, and the wise already know this. And so Proverbs is for that as well. The message, of, uh, message version of the Bible, it puts it this way, uh, to verses 1 through uh, 8 there. It says, these are the wise sayings of Solomon, David's son, Israel's king, written down so we'll know how to live well and right to understand what life means and where it's going, a manual for living, for learning what's right and just and fair, to teach the inexperienced the ropes and give our young people a grasp on reality. There's something here also for seasoned men and women, still a thing or two for the experienced to learn, fresh wisdom to probe and penetrate the rhymes and, and reasons of wise men and women. Proverbs is all about the concept of learning how to live well and right. And you're going to hear that phrase come up over and over again in the next couple of months. Let me think. Proverbs is all about knowing how to live well and right. Well, the next eight chapters then, Solomon goes on to really uh, paint a picture of how vital it is for us to be wise, for us to learn to live with wisdom, to learn in wise ways. And he paints these multiple pictures of wisdom pitted against something else, it being a choice. Like we can choose wisdom or we can choose this other thing. And he pits it, for example, he says it pits wisdom as an opposing choice from evil. He says you can choose wisdom or you can choose to hang out with people that are gonna lead you to violence is the way he puts that, or to evil doing. It's a choice of which direction you wanna go. Uh, there's another component where he pits wisdom as an opposing choice from immorality. He says you can choose wisdom or you can choose perverse men or adulterous women. Like this is the path. You get to choose which way you want to go. Uh, another time he says it pits wisdom as an opposing choice from a less than life. You can choose to live wise as Solomon lays out, or you can choose to have a less than life. Generally, those who live in God-honoring ways live better than those who don't, typically. Not always. We all know. We all have the stories. But the reality is God is all about us living our best possible lives because he created that. And God knows how best that is to function. So if we live choosing wisdom, we tend to live better than other ways. Well, Solomon ends his preamble, verses uh, chapters 1 through 8, uh, with this case of uh, pursuing wisdom. And he says this in uh, chapter nine, as he sort of ends this argument that he's built over eight chapters. He says this as he, as he sort of lands his plane, starting in verse uh, one of chapter nine. 
It says, wisdom has built her house. She's set up at seven pillars. She's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. He, he really paints wisdom as this, this woman offering. He says, she has sent out her servants and calls from the highest point in the sky. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come and eat my food, my drink my wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. So this offer from this personified sense of wisdom, he says, come and, and, and partake, enjoy, hear, be part of ingest, right? But at the same time, folly is right there. If we jump down to verse 13, it says, folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house in a seat in the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. For those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious, but little do they know the dead are there, and her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. This whole concept of choosing wisdom or folly, he paints it like two different women with two different offers what are you gonna choose? How are you gonna live? Which direction are you gonna go? One leads to life and one not so much. It's interesting because this entire concept, this whole sense of, uh, of living well and right, this idea of having wise life, it all starts, and this is the verse that we skipped in chapter one, verse seven. It all starts with this single concept. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and it's interesting because that word fear there, we're, af we're afraid of it. We, we so immediately want to translate it to uh, talk about God's love and his mercy and his grace. And all those things are true. Like, don't get me wrong. God is full of love and mercy and grace. And yet, as much as some want to translate this word fear right away to the concept of respect, which is true, there's truth to that, you really can't get away from the fact that fear means fear. I mean, the, the literal definition of this word begins with terror. There's no way to unpack that in a way that makes me feel better other than God can be a fear-causing object. And sometimes we don't want to think about that. We, we so quickly want to define God with all these other true attributes about himself, but we can't leave out the fact that God, and I'm using the language, can be, a fear-causing object. This creator of the universe who could snuff me out in a nanosecond, who could wipe out nations in the blink of an eye, and has wiped out nations uh, in the, with the swipe of a hand. We can't forget that's who God is. And that's where a great tension lies for us because God is a fear-causing agent, but he's also the one that consistently tells us to not be afraid. See, every time in the Old Testament somebody met up with God, they would always fall down on their face and just be like, I'm doomed. And God would say, don't be afraid, get up. Like we see this in the New Testament a few times as well. When angels would show up, not God, but angels, people would be terrified and they would say this phrase over and over again, fear not, right? So we have this God who could be, can be, is this fear-causing agent. And yet he tells us, and I would suggest us that know Jesus and have a relationship with him, like, you don't have to be afraid. That's an amazing tension there, that the God that holds the universe in the span of his hand, <clears throat> that, that makes weather stop or go, that rises nations and brings nations down, is the same God who knows the number of hair on our head? Is this making sense? This God who could be a fear 
causing agent whispers to us, but you don't have to be afraid. That's an amazing thing. And where this whole concept of wisdom starts, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, fear has more to do with placing God in his accurate and rightful place, or maybe better stated, recognizing God's accurate and rightful place. So before we immediately jump to all these other things that are true about God, his love and his mercy and his grace, let's remember the powerful person that we're dealing with who could cause immense fear if that was his will. But he whispers to us, you don't have to be afraid. And that is the beginning, I think, of wisdom. Wisdom doesn't start with what I know or what your opinion is or what you think is right, which is a whole very counterculture concept, right? Because in our culture, only opinion matters right now. Whatever your opinion is, that has to be right. We all have to somehow tolerate it, and that's cool. And, and, and that's not the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is not my opinion. It's not your opinion. It's not your experience or my experience. It's the fear of the Lord. It's placing God in his right and proper place or recognizing God's right and proper place. This reality of being a fear-causing agent, he whispers to me, but you don't have to be afraid. It says, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Beginning is the idea of what comes first, what stands at the front of the line, what's of first importance is recognizing the character and nature of who God is. This phrase, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's used all throughout Proverbs. Proverbs starts in 1-7 with that concept, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it ends in the very last book, in chapter 31, verse 30, it says, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. It's bookend with many repetitions in between. So as we read Proverbs together, and we'll talk about that in a second, but as we read that together over this next couple of months, uh, you're gonna come up against that phrase, and every time you hit that phrase, my hope, my ask, is that you remember this moment where you heard Chris say, God is a fear-causing agent, but yet he whispers to us, you don't have to be afraid calls us child, he calls us friend. That's an amazing reality that we don't want to forget. So we just started this new series called Let Me Think, Wisdom from Proverbs. So we'll know how to live right and well. And whether it's getting some wisdom on specific topics like marriage or relationships or parenting or hard work or discipline or communication, we'll tackle all those over the next few weeks. Maybe it is even also just spending a little more time being a processor versus a verbalizer. There's all kinds of wisdom that we wanna pull out of Proverbs. And here's what we're asking. Over the last few years, every year, we like to start the year encouraging us to dig deeper into the scriptures. We think reading the Bible is a really important thing. So we wanna ask that again. We're kinda narrowing the scope this year. We're saying for the next two months, we're asking you to read a proverb a day. One proverb each day. Right, and that'll pretty much take you through the book almost twice. Now, if you're a person, today's January just checking. Today's January 2nd. And so like, you're like, wait a minute, but what about Proverbs 1? It's cool if you just jump into Proverbs chapter 2. That's cool. Now, if your wiring doesn't allow you to do that, I love you. It's cool. I get it. You could read 1 and 2. If you miss a couple days over these next few weeks as life gets busy and stuff happens, like that's okay. Just jump in on whatever the date is. So if it's January 15th, you're like, oh, where am I at today? Proverbs 15. Just enough. Your wiring doesn't allow you to do that, and you got to catch up. Otherwise, you'll like pop an aneurysm. It's cool. Do that. Like, do that. Like, like, that's fine. Catch up. But you don't have to, because over the next couple months, we'll read all of Proverbs a couple times. And our goal is that as we engage with this wisdom that Solomon lays out, that we just really experience development and growth in terms of how we learn how to live well and right. Or maybe a better way to put that is weller and writer. Amen? Uh, I'm gonna pray and we'll stand 
and we'll sing and we'll be done. God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for your word. Thanks for these folks who uh, sherpaed in and um, are just spending time worshiping you. Privilege to be part of that. God, as we jump into Proverbs as a, as a family, God, I pray that you've got a plan for us. I think you do. Um, that God, somehow you would help us grow. That you would interact with us at the places you want to interact and you would, you would bring to our minds the things you want to bring to our minds. And that it's just a rich, good, healthy time for us. And so, God, while you are and can be a fear-causing agent, man, you whisper to us, we don't have to be afraid. And then you give us words to know how to live, what it is you like and what you don't like. And so, God, as we do this together, I just pray that you would be glorified in it and that we would just reap the benefits from it. We love you. Amen.